ready, Nick? I'm so ready for this. Great. This is like, you know, the end of the year podcast for Crown Chips, Chip, Chat, and Chill. <laughs> Did I say Chip? Chip, yeah. chip Chat, chip, Chill. Chips and Chats and Chillin'. Uh, so this is a podcast where a filmmaking crew known as Crown Chimp get together and discuss films, television, filmmaking, and related topics. So, oops. Um, that was my phone doing a vibrato. So I'm Sonia Campbell. I'll be moderating. We got Nick, Drew, no Margo, no Frank, but we do have a special guest today, uh, director and writer of a really cool, awesome film called Gun Driver, uh, Johan Carlo. Hello. Yeah. I personally prefer uh, him to Margot and Frank. Combined? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we decided that uh, you are Frank and our friend Oscar combined. Because hmm. oh, you look yeah. a little like both. Okay. And you're both, they're whatever. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit more about Gun Driver, what you uh, have done with it, what you have planned with it, and also about the sequel? Oh, okay. Uh, so, Gun Driver is a film I made. Um, in Tucson, uh, it's about forty-five minutes, fifty minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available online on Vimeo on demand. Okay. Uh, working on getting it and available in other places. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a sequel, but uh, you know, I'm just writing it now, so it's mm-hmm. a long ways off. Uh, working with an artist on a storyboard, comic book type of. Project. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, related to it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe start with a comic book and then uh, from there go on to maybe filming something. Nice. And what is it about, would you say? Because I only saw a teaser at the loft. And right. It's really cool. It's like got, you know, a guy with a gas mask and he has like cool <laughs> laser lights and it's got a style. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's basically, uh, you know, the post apocalypse and uh, there's, you know, a a uh, sort of war-torn place called the Zone, and uh, there's a guy named Jesse who's uh, basically a getaway driver, and he gets involved with a girl who's a mechanic, and they, you know, team up and go against the bad guy. Cool. <laughs> it's got a lot of cool cars in it and stuff too. So that, that's yeah, really it, yeah. Fun. It's sort of it's sort of like a racing theme. Uh, the final showdown is like a drag race, so. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, our subjects today are going to be um, our top or, or just favorite three movies from 2017 that we can remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had to look online and kind of think about it for a while. Um, so that'll be one subject, and the next subject will be our favorite movie line or one of our favorite movie lines or what's so great about it. Some 2018 goals as... Um, filmmakers, writers, producers, and also um, underrated and overrated actors. Let's see how far we get. Okay. <laughs> so let's start with Mr. Nick Guarte. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Um, how are you today? Pretty good. good. So I know you prep. It's that classic banter. Banter. Banter <laughs> that everybody <laughs> likes so much. That is terrific banter right well, there. Well, that's it for me. <laughs> So, um, I know you prepared three wonderful features and or series <laughs> um, from 2017 that you uh, would consider your favorites of the year, right? What What's sure. the first one? And are they in any order? Uh, all right, listen, man. 
This is what I did. Uh-oh. So I keep a list of everything I watch throughout the year. So it's I really forgot. easy for me to go through and sort it, but it's really hard to narrow it down. Okay. So I have nine. <laughs> what did I say what about if I, this? What if I do them in like quick <laughs> categories? Or what if I do three and then I'm like, these are some other ones that I couldn't quite put in I there. will concede. I will allow it. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I'll run through the six, just list them off real quick, and then I'll do it like how you want us to do it. All right. Okay. I'll, I would just be sad if I didn't get to talk about these other ones. It's okay. okay. I, I don't want you to be sad. Thanks, man. Uh, so the six... Uh, that didn't quite make the list for me mm-hmm. would be Jackie, the Natalie Portman movie that came out at the very, very beginning of this year. Um, about Jackie... Kennedy. Oh, I thought it was about um, like that football player. Jackie Robinson? Yeah. He's not a baseball player. <laughs> I thought he was a golf player. No, I've seen Jackie. You mean the tennis player? <laughs> I've seen Jackie. I um, actually saw another good portrayal of Jackie O in the Crown series um, mm. 2. Nice. Not bad. Weird, yeah, weird that. accent. That that voice yeah. she does is very bizarre. It, yeah, over the top, but I liked it. So I have that. I have the Meyerowitz stories, which was Noah Baumbach's new movie that came out on Netflix. As uh, Adam Sandler, that. Ben Stiller in it, Dustin Hoffman before he got all like weird and rapey to everybody. Well, <laughs> before before we knew that he in was all weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a time travel movie. Uh, so I dug that a lot. Loved The Big Sick with uh, Kamal uh, Nanjiani and. Um, all the other people that are in it. <laughs> All the other Pakistanis. Uh, 20th Century Women mm-hmm. uh, was one of my favorite that came out this year. What uh, is that about? It takes place in the 70s, and it's just kind of a sweet coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really well acted, and uh, who is it? Annette Benning is uh, the lead in it. Um, okay. Single mother. It's uh, directed by the same guy that did Beginners, um, and another movie that I can't think of right now. Okay. But it was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan. Logan. Just because I liked it a lot. I just watched that last night again. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Did you watch it in black and white? I did not. Okay. I haven't seen the black and white version Can yet. Can you just make your television black and white and watch it? I guess that's true. I saw it. It wasn't really worth making black and white. No, I don't know. not like Mad Max. Yeah. I mean, I mean was, Mad Max would be It's still a good film, but... Um, you don't get anything extra from the black and whiteness no, exactly. of it. I didn't personally. <laughs> That's fair. Is it a different edit, or is it just? I think black it's literally just a black and white oh, grade. Because the Mad Max black and chrome mm-hmm. is fucking amazing. Awesome. Yeah. If you haven't, like, it's really really good. The edit is different too. Yeah, there's almost no dialogue. The sound in the movie. It's a silent movie from the twenties. <laughs> it's like the most amazing silent film. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Wait, is it better than that one film with the train? Uh, What's that? The Charlie Chaplin film? <laughs> yeah, the, the train film. It was like the very first film that oh. ever came out. It was like <laughs> a train coming at yeah, people yeah, and everyone. Mickey oh. Mouse? Yeah. I'm on point today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, The Disaster Artist, which is fresh in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more and more I think about I think about it, mm-hmm. it is there's a lot more going on there as opposed to it just being like a regular comedy. Like There's a sure. lot of heart in that and there's some pretty genuine ethos in the film that uh, has been sticking with me um, Such as. last week. Just like the vulnerability of that character and seeing like that kind of pure id unleashed mm-hmm. with like no checkpoints. Like it's, I don't know. It, it, it's something that I feel like there's a little bit of those nastiness inside of all of us. Mm-hmm. And seeing that on screen is 
uh, you know, I don't know, maybe take pause, especially with, you know, when it comes to art and ambition and uh, regardless of how good or bad things come out, um, just the, you know, the desire to make something and uh, sometimes the difficulty in being able to express and communicate yourself. I dug it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intrinsic to being an artist. I'll, it's one of mine, so I'll go into it more. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> all right. Uh, so what are your top three then? Do you want me to hit all of them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so this isn't really in any particular order. Um, Mindhunter, season one, is uh, one of my top ones. I thought the character development in that was amazing. And then um, the fact that it was so suspenseful without really any action happening or very rarely was there any moments of real threat, like at least physical threat. Uh, but it was but so it like it. yeah, it was so tense. It was just perfect atmosphere. I went back and, and really thought about it. The only violence I can remember in that entire show was right at the end when uh, when Kemper grabs him. Yeah, I think that's that might be the only violence in the entire series, which is such an accomplishment to make something so visceral and violent. Actually, the very first scene where he blows his head off. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Forgot about that. Borderline. Yeah, but there's like maybe a minute total mm-hmm. of violence in that entire uh, ten hours. Count mm-hmm. tickling. Oh yeah, oh, that's right. That was pretty violent. What that, the, the foot tickling from that uh, was he a principal? Yeah. <laughs> Are you close enough to our ball? Yeah, I'm plenty close. Okay. <laughs> and okay, next. Uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, I think that was the strongest theater experience that I had this year. Uh, Drew and I have talked about it a bunch too, but the it, it's like two hours and 40-something minutes, mm-hmm. and I could have watched like another five hours of that thing. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. No. Did, did you see it in anything special like IMAX? Uh, no, I just saw it on XD. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was just visually very profound. Mm-hmm. There was a lot happening there. So good. That's mm-hmm. one of mine as oh, well. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> The, so I'm going to be a big surprise over here. I'm going to change it up. The, the world building and the art direction in that yeah. movie is so good. Like There was not one single thing that wasn't built for that movie, unless it was from 19th century or 20th century. But it was well acted, well directed, just a really, really immersive experience. Yeah. Like I want to live there. Oh, God, no. I do not want to live there. <laughs> I agree with all of those points on the film for sure. Um, there's no way anybody could watch it and say it's a bad film. Yeah. Like in any way, um, I just had issues with the storyline. I don't really like the use of anything that has to do with babies, <laughs> um, and I don't know why they're referring to them as babies when they're adults now. By the way, it's been you know 30 years, so stop calling them a baby. So I just didn't find that storyline to be good enough for what this was, which is you know epic. Mm-hmm. And bringing back this film after so long, what is it, 30 years? Yeah. You know, um, I just felt like it could have been a better story. I'm with you there. I think the lacking, or the, the writing was lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I don't have the same degree of reverence for the first one. Whatever mm-hmm. cut is the official cut of that first one mm-hmm. um, that I think other people have. So I didn't come into this version with any sort of like, oh, you guys better not screw this up. Um, I also remember I didn't really care for the actual plotting of the first one either. And the plotting of this one I don't mm-hmm. really care for either. For me, it was really about tone and atmosphere. And yeah. um, I felt like that was done on such a, a high level. Yeah, That's I, fair. 
I can see how somebody would be bored. Yeah. Um, personally, I could have watched that movie with no people in it. Just <laughs> yeah. two and a half hours of just yeah. like sweeping shots of all the mm-hmm. lo- locations they built from the, the giant pornographic statues to just everything was so well done. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's definitely um, a big part of, you know, I have reverence for the yeah. film. So I saw it when I was maybe 10, continue to see it throughout my life here and there. You know, it's one of those quotable sci-fi films. Um, so it, it wasn't, I didn't feel like, oh, they screwed it up. I just felt kind of like there was a... A little let down. A little let down, just in the writing. There um, were too many cliche plot points and yeah, lines. and Absolutely. When there's something like that, that's just like recycled lines, I'm just... I'm done. But I love yeah. the film as a visual, like, yeah. feeling. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we can all agree on that then. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Sci-fi Baz Luhrmann movie. It was all just <laughs> fluff and... <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. The movie is good. <laughs> I fucking loved it. We're not saying it's bad. It's just, again... You're saying I'm bad. You guys are saying you hate me. And, yeah. like, you know... Okay. I really liked the scenes with um, Harrison Ford when he finally shows up in the film. Um, Ryan Gosling, I thought, was well cast. And we all talked about how great Dave Bautista was. He was probably the He's, standout actor yes. in the whole film, which is crazy. Yeah, he was really uh, amazing. That role felt so lived in. Yes, absolutely. I didn't even realize it was him. No. Uh, I was just, this guy's really good. <laughs> Holy crap. And I was like, oh, that's... The guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestling. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he did a great job. Um, Jared Leto, I felt like, was kind of... I was a little bummed of, out about yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, I really like him, and I was excited about his role in the film, but I am comparing him to the villain, sort of, of the first film, Rucker Hauer, which you can't you can't top that, you know, in my eyes. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you guys about the things that maybe weren't as great in that film or it could have been um, to me the things that were good about that film were so strong and like were just like off the charts that if you were to kind of put this in like a metric it would average out to like an 8 for me mm-hmm. uh, because the things that they got right they got so right and yeah. you know the Jared Leto's and I definitely hear what you guys are saying about some of the dialogue mm-hmm. too and the female um, characters I thought were kind of lame yeah. you know they were just devices basically um, whereas they really weren't in the original, I mean the first Blade Runner, I should say, because, you know, the Daryl Hannah character, sure, she's a toy, basically, but she was badass. The females in this were basically Alexa with a body uh, and a prostitute. And those are great actresses, you know, um, but I just felt like they were useless characters. They didn't, didn't serve a purpose. I didn't like the digital girlfriend thing either. I yeah. gotta think about it. It's like, here's her when yeah. she has a body sometimes. Uh, or like ex machina. It's been done. It's like enough already. All right. We get it. You don't <laughs> like my number two pick. That's not it at all. I agree with you that it's an eight. There is no one better at doing nothing and being fascinating than Ryan Gosling. <laughs> That's true. He does sure. nothing. He's a robot who doesn't have emotions. Yeah. And Are we talking so, about Drive? Uh, anything he's been in. Fucking La La Land. Anything. <laughs> oh, come on. He's, His dead eyes. I, God, I love him. He's, Actually, he's great, yeah. Replicants are not robots. And I think a lot of people misunderstand this. But oh, I was boy. using it facetiously, but <laughs> no, please no, no, do no, no. explain. <laughs> but they're genetically engineered humans. So they're they, like they GMO are people. they are humans. They're yeah, they're GMO people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. That's so, a good point to make. 
Uh, a lot of people confuse it with AI and things like that. It's not I AI. Think, I think it's and different. it's not robotic. Yeah. It is genetically modified. Yeah. All right, what do you got, Nick? All right. Uh, my last one is another show, and it is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> Pardon? Uh, what is this? Wow. So, which I... <laughs> absolutely adore this show so much is it an amazon show? it's an amazon show okay. um written and created by the uh, creator of the gilmore girls which i never watched mm-hmm. like i didn't have any reference for it. i like i heard the dialogue on that show was great outside of it you know it's easy to like kind of thumb your nose at it and be uh, like oh it's gilmore girls or whatever but i always heard the dialogue was solid it's got a huge fan base yeah uh this show the dialogue is like music just the the back and forth how well how tightly written this thing is is so fucking well done um the lead actress who is rachel brasnahan um is like immediately out the gate from episode one like you get who this character is what is she about um she does such an interesting spin on the like we've seen the stand-up comedian trying to make it story so many times oh it's this film yeah okay. uh she does such a unique spin on it or though yeah. yeah of being you know a woman in the late 50s uh jewish culture new york comedy club scene trying to make it but also being kind of a single mother kind of not and expectations of parents and um being very i don't know what the word is but uh, she has a lot of agency. Like mm-hmm. everything that is going on is because of her work. I love that they have Lenny Bruce. Yeah, and the guy that plays Lenny Bruce in there is very great. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Is it based on a true story? No, it's just kind, kind of, of like elements of different. Yeah. Okay. That's so it's like a collection of. It's kind of like the birth of um, personal stand-up. Mm-hmm. You know, which I mean, it, it's I guess historically probably a little early from when like personal stand-up sets actually really started happening. Um, but you see some of that because, you know, a big part of her sets are just her personal life and, you know, her honing that and crafting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a mix of other female comics that came up during that time period. And like who? Like Phyllis Diller, Joan Rivers? Like yeah. Okay. Yep. I don't know. Woody Allen was doing it back then. The, the personal stand-up. I think he was one of the very first. In the in 50s? That, in the 50s? I don't know. There was Woody Allen was around, started breaking through in... Late sixties, early seventies, I think. Like Cosby and Carlin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Cosby and Carlin. I've seen in black and white, but that could still be early sixties. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Totally different humor back then, you know. Were you just talking about the history of comedy? I was. Yeah. (laughs) So Uh, Drew knows. He's the expert. There's a great (laughs) series on uh, Hulu that was on CNN. It's the six parts. It's the history of comedy. Um, really solid, really well done. It's a CNN doc, basically, but it's comedy. And yeah. it's, it's great. It's good stuff. Uh, also, Tony Shalhoub is in it. He plays her father, Tony Shalhoub, from Monk. Oh, okay, and, I like him. And yeah. also Wings. Yes, and yeah. from Wings. <laughs> uh, and he really gets the the way that that dialogue she, should be delivered. And yes. the scenes with the two of them are just so much fun to watch because it's just this boom, 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 boom. And mm. there's so much rhythm do you happen uh, to done. know who the writer or writers are? Yeah, her name is... It's, it's a longer name, so I always kind of forget. <laughs> uh, everybody just hold on, okay? Woody Allen was active starting 1950. He was born in 1935. What? He was Pre- active doing what? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think we could take a guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, Amy Sherman Palladino. Okay. 
Um, she's created a whole right? bunch of shit. It's all right. Yeah. So those are your top three of 2017. Those are the things that I was digging this year. Cool. Let's move on to Johan Carlo's top 2017 picks. What do you got? All right. I'll start with number three, and we'll do the countdown. <laughs> all right. Nice. Number three, I mean, there's a few runners-up, but I won't mention them. So I'm going to... Oh, I feel like he's throwing shade at me right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to get to the top three. Okay, so... (laughs) Okay, no, I'll throw out a couple. Um, My friend Dahmer, Mm. I thought that was actually really good. Um, The lead actor was pretty fantastic and just a great, like, moody atmosphere in that movie. Um, And The Disaster Artist, I thought was really hilarious, especially having seen The Room. I don't know if I'd recommend watching it if you haven't seen it, but you liked it and you hadn't seen I it. So seen I don't know. Oh, you didn't I've, see the room? I've, I've seen enough. Yeah. <laughs> I get the idea. Yeah. I've also seen lots of local productions. <laughs> so I know. Okay. So, number three, uh, I'm going to go with The Little Hours. Um, this was a, a comedy sort of set in like medieval yeah. Europe, I guess, <laughs> with um, like um, nuns and priest and I don't know I, I, I was raised like I went to like a Catholic school and I kind of maybe somehow related to it that way subconsciously but mm-hmm. I don't know I just had, I, I cracked up I had a fun time that's the one with the Aubrey Plaza Aubrey Plaza okay. that looks like oh, yeah. yeah it's based on a, there's a text like from like the 1200s I think they didn't have texting back then no they didn't have texting <laughs> back then time travel <laughs> Cool. Uh, I actually, I, I went into that yeah. really, well, I was really excited about it because, like, same sort of thing, like, race Catholic and all that shit, and it's like, oh, cool, like, I want to see how they do this. Um, I felt like the tone on that was, like, a little all over the place, where it was, like, <laughs> they're not entirely sure if they want to fully commit to it being this raunchy comedy or if they want to have more of these dramatic elements in it. That sounds and just like Catholicism. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, w- I was mixed on it, man. It was, I really wanted to like it's it. It's silly, but there are some tender moments toward the end, which I kind of liked. It had kind of like a positive like message of like you know, do what's right for you, kind of a thing. You know? Yeah, <laughs> to me, it felt like it just took a weird tonal shift, and I was like, oh <laughs> shit, we don't we don't want to go out on this whole like full on vulgar note. We want to try to redeem ourselves a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was like, no, I want you guys Maybe. just be fucking vulgar through the whole thing. Like that's what you are. Okay. <laughs> you guys didn't see it, huh? No. I, no. Mm-mm. All right. Number two, mother. Mm. Um, you got to say with an exclamation point. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah, mother, mother with an exclamation point was uh, just fantastic, uh, surreal experience about creativity and the creative process. So that's what. It, what I got out of it, but I guess there's other interpretations. I think we all have that interpretation. Maybe there's a biblical interpretation. Yeah. Too, but. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is built entirely like on the Old Testament. I think to me that's the more interesting version of it. Mm-hmm. Like w- watching it, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed like you know they use the kind of the poet and the that idea of creation and i think me and sonia have had a couple of different conversations yeah. about us reading it two different ways but for me the more interesting part of it was really like the biblical stuff mm-hmm. and really diving into what is being said about man and man's relationship with god and even so more so man's relationship with women um 
I think, think it had a lot on its mind and it executed it in such a unique way where like four different people could watch it and take away four different readings of, uh, sure. of mm-hmm. what was you know the core theme there. Mm-hmm. Now, did you understand what it was about right away or how long did it take you to, for it to kind of click? No, it totally made sense to me by the end of the movie. By the um, end of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. But during the film? Oh. Were you uh, lost at all? Or? I wasn't lost, but I, I was continually interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I really, really wanted to like it because I'm a huge Aronofsky fan. Like, Requiem for a Dream is one of my top ten favorites. I even really like Noah. Um, but the more I sort of sat with it, the more it seemed like okay, Darren, we get it. <laughs> like, That's how I felt about Black Swan. Like, yeah. It's the Bible. We get it. And, and ultimately, there wasn't any new information or opinions given. It was sort of just regurgitating the same thing you know, religious philosophers have said for thousands of years. I thought it was visually really well executed. I thought it was poorly cast. Hmm. Um, and I thought it was really well executed. I could watch Jennifer Lawrence walking around in pajamas like all day. Any day <laughs> oh, so. we're gonna have a chat later. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> About pajamas? Uh-huh. Okay. Pajamas is his number uh, uh-huh. two favorite so, uh-huh. <laughs> We'll come back to a little bit more Mother later because I have that on my list. Cool. But what's your next one? Number one, Dunkirk. Donald this- Kirk. Oh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was talking about the Captain Kirk biography. Did you see it? No. I'm just making that up. Okay. Was it good? Yeah. Yeah? Did you see like the 7 millimeter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw it in IMAX. Oh. So Dunkirk, yeah. did you see it in IMAX? <laughs> I saw it in 70 millimeter. Oh, did you? But, okay. Yeah, that, that movie blew me away. Uh, it's a, it's just a, a nightmare. It gave me PTSD, I think, <laughs> for a while. Uh, it's hor- It's horrifying and... Just, it puts you right there in the middle of World War II and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, watch at your own risk. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. It's good. I really enjoyed it. I don't know why I didn't put it in my top nine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I liked it. Like It's very much Forgot. like a film. Like You go and you experience it. It's mm-hmm. very low on exposition and it's just kind of like we're going to put you here, we're going to put you here, we're going to put you here and you're just going to catch these little vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, of these guys' lives uh, during this, you know, condensed period of time. Yeah. People burning to death, drowning to death, getting shot, getting blown up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's about three directors right now that can't do bad stuff. Yeah. They just if can't. If they try, could they? Uh, Problem. Maybe not. But Fincher, Nolan, and this is a fanboy, but Nicholas Winding Refn, I feel like anything they put out is going to be good. Even the worst of Fincher's movies or Nolan's movies is still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and give them 100 or $300 million or whatever and you're going to get a quality product. Yeah. I heard they don't ever say Nazis in mm-hmm. Dunkirk. They just call them the uh, the enemy. I wonder, do we know why he made that, that choice? It's kind of... I heard him talking about it and I don't remember. The enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of from one side's perspective, mm-hmm. which a lot of other World War II movies, they kind of show both sides. But this one, it's more, it's not about politics, it's just about, like, the fear of being a soldier, I think, mm-hmm. and just the, the horrifying experience that you go through yeah. that thankfully none of us 
you know, I'm definitely interested in seeing it. I always remember my uh, movie experience being in the theater the first few minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. It was just like, oh my god, like yeah, it's, just it's so really similar. Yeah. harsh. Yeah, I remember mm. seeing this older man crying. You know, like he was remembering, mm. and it was just like, this is hardcore. But then it 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 doesn't continue from there. It gives you a break for a while. <laughs> but then on top of that, there's the. Um, the RAF fighter played by Tom Hardy mm-hmm. and just the cinematography there with you know a real uh, what is it a Spitfire uh, mm-hmm. that that stuff was awesome I think cool. <laughs> yeah Tom Hardy is Venom anyone have thoughts on that no because I, I don't know it. the comic enough love 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 it it's apparently it's gonna be a hard R horror movie there's well now kind of, I love it yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you say like did you say Riz Ahmed was possibly gonna be yeah I don't know if that's like uh, confirmed maybe we got a Sclusi you guys oh, oh. <laughs> well where did you hear this TMZ nah from this guy <laughs> oh I see yeah, you and Riz know. were playing a little bocce ball he's like a really cool guy you guys don't know him <laughs> is it Mike Clark <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's in talks. He's in talks. Yeah. Riz. For what character? Uh, I think Carnage. Oh! I know. <laughs> That's wonderful. This appears to be a good thing. Or at least from the person <laughs> I I heard it from. So would it be the Maximum Carnage <laughs> storyline? That would be cool. That would sure. be dope. All right. So what's your top three of 2017, Drew? Um, my top three, you know, I shuffled them around a little bit because Nick already talked about some of them but um, I'm gonna just asterisk on the disaster artist Uh Um, it did such a good job of of showing the hubris that we as artists and filmmakers have which which is I have something to say and you should listen to me you should listen to me so much you should pay me money to listen to me (laughs) That's what we say when we when we put out art, and it's it's takes a great amount of ego and insecurity combined. And I thought that that movie did a wonderful job of showing that that collision. Yeah, yeah Elliot Kazan has a really nice quote about that, where uh, something along the lines of artists being um, inherently self-centered people because you're saying here's a thing I made it now look at it Mm -hmm. I kind of come from the opposite end of the spectrum on that where I feel like I'm in the nobody wants to read or watch or look at your shit category (laughs) so I feel that way like oh I don't want to bother you but here's something I really want to put out into the world Um, I saw a quote recently it was put up by uh, Adi Shankar and the guy who said it was D.W. Winnicott who I don't know who that is but he said, artists are people driven by the tension between the desire to communicate and the desire to hide. Oh, yeah. So that's, I think it just I depends, yeah. you know, like a, maybe director or, or you know, someone, different personalities of artists probably feel You know, this probably is also maybe there's a gender conversation there, too, of, you know, I think there's culturally for men, there's more of a sense of entitlement of, hmm. um, like, I deserve this, you should look at it, blah, blah, blah. And I think with women, yeah, <laughs> yes, dick pics. Here's my like, dick is, pic. is like the perfect example <laughs> of that. Oh, it all comes together. Men's now. view on what they make is the exact same view of their dick. <laughs> it is special. It's amazing. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. Tell me how great it is. And my you don't is like fragile. it? Fuck you. <laughs> like I think yeah. that is, 
you know, guys are pretty shitty in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think women take a, again, kind of more culturally, um, an approach where it's a little more about trying to earn it. And, you know, making sure, like, have I done enough to earn the right to ask somebody to look at this thing that I made? I can't think of any, like, off the top of my head, like, female directors or writers that just came right out of the gates swinging, you know, like an Ed Wood. Yeah. Who just, like, totally entitled. No, I mean, she earned it through her name, at least. Um, (laughs) 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 I didn't mean that to sound that awful. But she does good work. She does it, yeah. (laughs) She does very good work. And, I mean, she's brought up in the filmmaking world. I mean, she could see her dad do um, wonderful things from the time she was born. So um, she earned it just through her upbringing. Um, But, you know, like, you think of, like, crazy off-the-wall like Tommy Wiseau, um, these type of artists that are just, like you said, mm-hmm. just immediately are, have a sense of entitlement about what they do. And they think it's good no matter what. And if you don't like it, then you're wrong. You know, yeah. that's not typically female frame of mind. But yes. Well, I think, yeah, I don't have any other thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of other thoughts, but All it's right. going to derail it. So Drew... Uh, number three for me was... Well, that was the asterisk. That's yeah, that was an asterisk. <laughs> and I, I'm dropping Blade Runner because we've talked that shit to death already. Okay. Um, was Westworld, which oh. I just thoroughly enjoyed. Um, kind of similar to the way I enjoyed Blade Runner, now that I say mm. it out loud. is mm-hmm. I'm such a sucker for world building. And, and that had robots, right? Uh, these were robots. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the, just building a world and, and laying out these rules and following them and really giving a shit about details and about art direction and about casting and every, everything is so good about that. Just the, the best example is when they show all the decommissioned robots and they're all naked. Like there was fat, gross people and there is like you know, all these different different folks that that went into making this world more real, and that for for their patrons, and that translated you know into for the audience. And I think they just did such a nice job. Uh, I really loved uh, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, uh, he's great in everything. Anthony Hopkins is of mm-hmm. course great in everything. Um, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Ed Harris. Absolutely. I, um, I've been Rachel Wood. Yeah, is incredible in there. Yeah, yeah, really well done. Um, I want so bad to be Ed Harris in that. Show. <laughs> um, so yeah, really super. I feel like you're Ed Harris in like real life. Well, thanks. I appreciate That's that. That's not a compliment. That's a luck. All right, number two uh, was a ghost story. Yeah, which is typically not something I would really be into. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like horror movies, and I don't like being scared. It's not really a horror. It's not yeah. right, but going into it when you when you're like you, it says it's a ghost story. Right, there's a guy right. in a sheet. It's, it's gonna a, be scary. Yeah. How do I know it's a ghost story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Sonia actually asked me to go see that, and me and, and her and Frank saw it. And for the first half of it, I don't think I've ever hated anything <laughs> more. The most masturbatory art house bullshit. Just I pie eating pie eating garbage and 
people, old people walked out because they didn't yeah. fucking get They're it. They're trying to have a day, day, daytime date, and they right. got bored, and they left. And I was just <laughs> gritting my teeth, like, thinking, we still got another 45 minutes of this to go through. And then it became amazing. So before you keep going, I haven't seen it, uh-huh. and it's like my big regret this year of movie. <laughs> you were right. That's I know. Big regret. <laughs> so don't spoil anything right. in the ending for me. He's a ghost. God damn it, Drew! <laughs> but just turned everything, and and it's so nice because we make movies and rent movies that to be surprised and that mm-hmm. shocked at at the way a movie changed and, and shifted. Yeah. Uh, so highly. Highly recommend. Um, really, really good. Casey Affleck is good, and I love that yeah. Casey Affleck was actually under the sheet was for he? the entire I didn't shoot. Know. Yeah, funny. yeah. So <laughs> I wouldn't have done. Um, <laughs> and then number three. Wait, you just did two. Yeah, I mean the third one I'm doing. Oh, gotcha. It's no order, one. just third. Yeah, I'm, there's no one. I'm an agent of chaos. What do you want from me? Uh, <laughs> I think the best thing artistically done this year and in the world of storytelling or anything was uh, Handmaid's Tale. Oh, fuck. How did I leave Handmaid's Tale off my list? Yeah. Uh, just such a oh. such an accomplishment in every sense of... I replaced Blade Runner with Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Are you serious? Dead serious. <laughs> yep. So I'm afraid... To talk about why I don't agree. Mm-hmm. You have to. Let us just enjoy this moment that we both really enjoy this show. Yeah. Not ruin it right here. But go ahead and uh, what Sorry. did I couldn't get past first episode. <laughs> why? Just I just couldn't. You just sound I like couldn't believe things. the situation. It was just the situation too, is silly. It was too ridiculous. But it's based on what, like an, a young adult book or something. That's that's what it feels like, young adult. Yeah, um, all the forced sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that feels pretty wild. Walking Jay and shit, Hunger Game. I they don't, don't do that shit. <laughs> um, it did have a, that quality to me. Yeah, it was near future, right? Totalitarian state. Yeah, it was like uh, Hunger Games and Orange Is the New Black sort of feel to me. Oh, I totally that disagree. Is, yeah, I don't think not, that was right, that's that. That's not what I got at all out of it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Um, yeah, that was the total tone for me. Wow. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, it's like sisterhood and, um, you know, these shots in slow motion while dramatic 80s music plays over the top. And, you know, like I had a real issue with um, this character who was supposed to be all like, uh, you know, feminist and women's rights and standing up against uh, this weird establishment that's happening, which... I appreciated the the idea of that because it's kind of, you know, everyone said the same thing, like, this is too scary, it's so almost real with what we have going on in the United States, but um, my problem was then she got all 14-year-old girl crush on the, like, leader of her house, you know, once he showed her interest, she got really, like... Gushy and excited uh, about it. Stockholm syndrome. Like yeah, I, I yeah, don't know if she I. She also really was into like. Which that, which person are you saying that she got a? The um. The um dude from that's. Uh, Joseph that's, Fiennes, who's. Oh, the, the actual leader. The, like, the guy who owned the house. That oh she yeah, I didn't take it that she liked him at all. Oh no, yeah. I took she, it like she, she was had, like I'm doing what I have to do. They had to a scene survive. where she was so smitten. She was super smitten. 
And then she was all like girl crush, or girl crush, like she has a different, I don't know. She has got all excited about the guy who was like the landscape. Yeah, guy. so like that, th- that person I do see, like she like actually had feelings for, but the head of the house, yeah, I totally disagree with that. There was a moment where do I... Do you remember what that moment was? Yeah, she when she got the note from him and she like... Listeners, kind of like, call him oh. now, tell us if you know what this moment is. Because I, I, I took the entire thing, that relationship, to be one of But you were saying Stockholm Syndrome, which is the complete opposite of what you're saying. I'm somewhere in between. I think that she had a, a bit of a crush. And then she was able to use it, obviously. But she was flattered. Mm. And it just seemed opposite of what her character was supposed to be. Um, and then she didn't know if her husband was dead or not, really. So, eh. Because uh, <laughs> she didn't know <laughs> Yeah, so she's just like, You're upset about the amount of information she had. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, again, it's just kind of like Blade Runner where I could never sit here and say it was bad. Or, you know, because they had beautiful costumes, great actors. Um, You know, I just had issues again with with one thing, and it was enough for me to not really like it. But I watched every episode, you know, and I'll watch season two. It's uncomfortable sometimes, and it's thematically super... Super applicable to, to so many things. Uh, yeah, I think it plays like a really great fable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, you can't look at it as like a direct one to one, but there's a lot of. Uh, it's a heightened there. reality. Yeah. Even name? within the, the kind of dystopian. You didn't get world. an Orange is the New Black feel no, out of this at all. No. I mean, there was like even like the, the one character Outside with a the messed one up actress, eye. Like it, it really had that feel to me. Yeah, it did not feel like Orange is the New Black to me at all. Also, I absolutely am in love with Nina Kiri. Who's that? She plays one of the one of her friends. Oh yeah. Um, she is amazing. She's on the screen for like two seconds at a time, and I'm just, <laughs> oh my gosh, she is so good. And then I, of course, Nina, if you're if you're listening, um, write write me back on on the Instagram <laughs> and tell me what you think of. Never mind. <laughs> of your ego. <laughs> of my ego. Yeah, I have a picture of my ego. You sent like a picture you. of your ego. <laughs> All right, so that's so your list. That's my three, yeah. Oh, it's up to me now. Guess what? I have um, all of these have already been spoken for, but nice I don't here. care. Moving on. <laughs> no. Um, I do want to start with Mindhunter as one of my top three. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was based on the true crime book Mindhunter, which is... Um, uh, something I would like to read. And so I didn't realize this, but besides David Fincher, Charlize Theron is also a producer on mm-hmm. Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and same kind of reasons, awesome cast, the direction, obviously art direction, writing. They had cool, smart female characters that served purpose, which I thought was great. Um, you know, they, they don't feel like they're just there to be romantic interests. There's more to them. Um, and they, they give more information and they move the story forward. Um, I really loved the, um, like I said this before, but the relationship between uh, Ford and Tench, I haven't seen anything so interesting since True Detective, which mm-hmm. says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't felt so excited watching a show since True Detective, where I just felt like I was like, that's so much energy inside of me watching it for how fucking good it was. Yeah. You it know? was such a good show to like, marinate in too like i i didn't I binge it like, i couldn't stop watching I like i would binge. watch an episode and just sit with it for a few days That's and good. just be like oh, fuck i just couldn't stand it i had to keep watching yeah. it was so bingy and then um our favorite cameron Britton, who played ed kemper 
So, so good. I mean, he, he was like the highlight of the show. Um, and I'm super excited about season two. Um, I think a guy to look out for is, um, his name is Sonny Valencenti, and he's going to be playing BTK, um, or he was ADT serviceman in season one. Mm. So just a beautiful, perfect true crime series. It was like watching Zodiac for yes. like 10 hours. Yes, <laughs> So well cast. The uh, tent, that character could be the same character we've seen in a like hundreds mm-hmm. of things, but Holt, uh, what's his name? Holt. Uh, I actually Holt have Mc- him coming up later. Holt McCallany. Holt McCallany. Yeah. McCallany. He yeah. does such okay. a fantastic job of taking that gruff, grizzled old cop and my wife and I drink whiskey and blah blah blah. <laughs> it could just be, you know, the partner and background noise, but he really has this like vulnerability that that is so good. Yeah, and I love the clear distinction between those two characters. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, Holt has a completely different set of morals, it feels like, than... They, they feel like real morals, yeah, real. not like these kind of black and white... Like, he's been around, he knows. One. Yeah. yeah. And the character, just like the character arc of, um, of Holden Ford is yeah. just so good. And it's so subtle. Um, but by the time of the last episode, it really hits you, and you're like, shit. <laughs> you know? And it's not like he doesn't even become a different person he just becomes a more realized person of what we saw right. in those first couple episodes that's right yeah yeah they just that last episode and the first episode were my favorites yeah. just a perfect show and it's great because it's not like there's like these plot twists or anything major no. that happens it's just it's just so well crafted right. so well made you know it's... what the one of my one of my favorite movies is uh, girl with the dragon tattoo which is the longest, most interesting film about library sciences. <laughs> the remake or uh, the, the new one? Yeah, mm-hmm. at Fincher. So mm-hmm. uh, this was a movie about talking to people on a tape recorder. <laughs> the entire series was people talking in a car and then talking on a tape recorder and then talking about when they talked about people on a tape recorder. I, uh, when you break that, it's it's and that's the, the kind of genius of yeah. Fincher. Is it? I guess. At its core, but it's also, you know, when the FBI started, started to first profile serial killers, yeah. which is awesome. Probably egg salad. Yeah, egg salad. My next one is Mother. Um, so I disagree about the, um, well, I saw the film as definitely an artist's struggle. And Jennifer Lawrence was the muse, and all of the um, sort of weird supporting characters around were clearly the kind of creative blocks that an artist experiences when they're trying to finish a work of art. So he's a writer, or he's a poet, and just there was just this point in where I realized, like, this is a distraction. Ed Harris, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, the fans that show up, these are all the kinds of distractions. And Oh, okay. More pu- more publicity. The the poem, the book gets published, and now he's on top of the world. This is the shit that's going to get to his ego to, cre- to stop him from creating his art. And the muse starts starts deteriorating from his life. She starts becoming more and more frustrated. And and you know she has this baby, which I think is her his next work of art, ready. Um, and she's like, "You're fucking up everything. You're gonna ruin everything by." Being this kind of artist who only cares about his fame, only cares about the fans now, who only cares about like anything that has to do with non-creativity. You spend all this time working your your you know ass off trying to get to this point where you're finally able to release into the world the baby, and then you just fucking throw it away. 
You know, you just put it out there into the crowd and it kills it. Um, so I, I, could, I saw it as clearly an artist muse and then artist creative block story. And I always find that Aronofsky does use different themes and biblical themes in his films, but it was just underlying for me. For me, that was just the support of what the story was about. Yeah, so I, I maybe part of my reading on it is because I wanted to like it. I don't want to hate it. <laughs> so I, I wanted to like it. So for me, I had to look at the, because you're absolutely right, like the, the artist's uh, struggle is there. I had to look at that as the surface level thing that's being said. Because to me, that's one of the most uninteresting stories is an artist's struggle. Um, Why is that? I, maybe it's because I, I make things. Because <laughs> when an artist is struggling, what they write about is that they're struggling. Yeah, to me, it's very, very uninteresting to see anything about creative blocks or how difficult it is, how hard it is to have work received and put yourself out there. I love that subject. So that's um, what I saw first. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I just, just I think it's masturbatory like it, it, the most important thing you have to say about the world is this dumb bullshit that doesn't really matter that much to me that's not very interesting are you talking um, about the bible because i agree with that so <laughs> to me that's why like i had to take on what i felt was the underlying thing which was the the, the biblical journey and it hits everything at you know kind of every core beat yeah um and i think that to me that's a more interesting story is that reinterpretation of the Bible and of uh, relationship with God, higher powers, with yourself, with the ego, all of that stuff. And Jennifer to, Lawrence was Mary. Well, I, Jesus. again, it's not like a direct one to one. Especially like gets into the the later parts of it. You know, you, I mean, I think Jennifer Lawrence's character could really quickly be read as Mother Earth, and there's that version of the fable too that it's just about how we treated the Earth like shit. Um, and it's a you know no, a very really nice boring. Captain Planet uh, story. <laughs> what about the pi- the poster? Oh the, well, the movie poster is uh, well one of them is, is her face and it's she's looking in a certain way that's like a copy of like a famous Madonna mm-hmm. picture. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like God. It's like the Holy Trinity on yeah. one film. But I also I also think of her as a creator also like with the house. And um, sometimes when you're creating something, the house, yeah. it becomes so personal that you don't want to share it with anyone, almost. And then, so it's kind of like how she is with the house, and then with her baby as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, that's what uh, I took. And then, and then, which is interesting. That goes back to some of like the male female stuff that we were talking about earlier. Right. How. And that's where I was at right then and there because mm-hmm. I was like majorly suffering from you know a block, and I, I was. I had to drink some Metamucil. (laughs) No, I was in a place with my script where I was like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing now. And it felt very uncomfortable. I saw this film, it made me feel so much better because it was like, man, if someone like Aronofsky can tell the story even now, Mm -hmm. it makes me feel better to to be able to relate to someone else. Um, Someone else relates to this issue that feels so amateur. You know, so that's where I look at it. That's really interesting about really good art and really good artists like Aronofsky and probably everyone involved in that film is you can take so much away from it and it's so personal to you mm-hmm. even though you know that may have been one aspect of what it was but in interviews he's flat out like it's the bible uh it's the old testament but there's so much maybe he didn't even realize that's what he was saying he thought he was doing a bible story and it came out as 
Oh shit! I, I don't see how he couldn't know that was an undercurrent if that's not the main subject. Because why make him a poet? You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why make anyone a poet, Sonny? <laughs> I I don't know. Um, and also, this is the first role I really, really liked and appreciated Jennifer Lawrence in. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And I don't, like, I just never really thought she was... Have you seen Winter's Bone? Yeah, that's the oh, first movie yeah, I saw yeah. her with. Not a fan of her there. I thought, ah, oh, fine. But, <laughs> but now... Yeah, I, fine. Now I feel like, but I never saw, um, what is it, Scorsese film? Ah! The one set in the, it's like Goodfellas era, casino mm. stuff, gambling, and she... Oh. American Hustle? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, that's Hustle. a David O. Russell. <laughs> David O. Russell? It wants yeah. to be Scorsese. It wants it to be Scorsese. Yeah. I never saw that, but I, you know, know that she was really great in that. Didn't she win yeah. Oscar? Or she got nominated. She got she's, nominated. She's funny, but... Yeah. So I, I, I've never seen her in a part where she felt like a mature actor, and for me, this was it. Huh. Um, so I, I really thought she was really great. Um, you know, to hold your own against, or with, Javier Bardem, um, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, that's pretty great. To the casting point that Drew was having an issue with earlier... I would say um, Javier Bardem is pretty perfect in there. I, really? I, I, yeah, I felt like he was just yeah. this big, towering presence. I did like... He yeah. filled the room. I liked it as well. I could see it seems a little off at first, mm-hmm. but I believed it. You know, I, could, I liked that he was older and, you I, know... I think it might be a little bit obscured by how good he is. Mm-hmm. That you just... You, you love him. You love seeing him on screen. And that makes up for the fact that like that's not the right casting decision. Like a sixty year old Mexican guy that's like not <laughs> who she's married to. He's married to Penelope Cruz. Do you like that? <laughs> I don't dislike it. <laughs> what about uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Darren Aronofsky together? You like that? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. He decides who mates. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Ugh. third <laughs> third twenty seventeen is a ghost story. Nice. Um, so it's from writer director David Lowry, starring Runa Mara, Rooney Mara, and Casey Affleck. Um, I agree with the same things, and we discuss this at length after the film. I love that shift that comes just completely out of nowhere almost. It's a it, it's an extreme shift from being bored to death to being like this is my favorite movie mm-hmm. of the year. Um, it's and it is beautiful. It is it's got a lot of just like amazing cinematography. Um, the acting's great. There's that really awesome scene with the guy in the party. That has like this whole long monologue. Such a good monologue. Really good. No spoilers, you guys. Now I know there's a party in it. (laughs) And a monologue. And a guy. Uh, And a a ghost. Um, As long as there's not a story. Mike's over here, dummy. What are you doing? Just backing off? I don't want it to hear my typing. They will Um, know your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) And so. yeah, it takes you to an unexpected place. It sets its own pace, which is cool, and it's profound and unique. I haven't seen a film like it, you know, American film. Mm-hmm. Very unusual. Um, it doesn't really have, like, first, second, and third act. But when it gets going, when you get to that place where you're just like, whoa, um, it gives me that feeling that a really good film is supposed to give me that I always remember, which is, like, I'm relating to something profound that's part of humankind, and mm-hmm. that's what... Filmmaking, good filmmaking does so. 
Thanks for paying attention to that, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I just gotta say that that twist or whatever, it yeah. just it didn't do it for me. Come no. on, you guys, let's be careful about the twist talk. Now I know there's a twist. There really isn't a twist. It's they not a twist. Whatever we're out. calling it, let's say Act Three. It they, just now I know talking. there's an Act Three. <laughs> they find out that she's actually blind and can be destroyed by water. They find out that she can eat almost an entire pie. <laughs> Can I just tell you there's a five-minute pie-eating scene? I know oh, about that. Okay. Everyone knows about that. That wraps up the 2017. I'm going to edit here. And, uh, yeah, let's go on to the next subject. Cool. Is this all one? Yeah. Longest podcast ever. This be a long-ass podcast. Well, then maybe you should shut up. <laughs> I have a lot of interesting things to say. <laughs>